0: They answer to that question: What have I had to dread if I'm leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus? Not a thing, not a thing. If you have your Bible open it to John chapter 14, John chapter 14. Title of this message is "Finding Comfort in a World That Hates the Love of Jesus." John chapter 14. It was love that motivated. Everything that Jesus did and said. It was love that motivated Jesus to even come to the world. We're told in John chapter 3 that it was the love of God that had him send his son on to the earth and ultimately onto the cross. It was because Jesus was a shepherd who loved his sheep that he died for us. It was his love that led him to teach the lessons and to do the signs and miracles that he did. There was no shortness of love from Jesus when He taught, when He did everything for humanity. But unfortunately, despite what I preached two weeks ago, you don't always reap what you sow. When we sow to the Spirit, we reap from the Spirit precisely what we sow. But we don't always sow into the world, or we don't always reap from the world what we sow into it. Because Jesus sowed love and compassion and mercy and all of these wonderful things into the world when he was walking the face of this planet. Opportunities to a lost world. That's what he sowed. And what did he reap but violence, hatred, and murder? And I tell you this for one reason. As followers of Jesus, we should expect much of the same thing. We should expect that same Amount of hatred and violence and murder even. You know, that may be a little harsh for a Sunday evening crowd. But uh, I want to read you a few stories. I've read from this before. It's a, it's a book written by a group called DC Talk, uh, the music group. They put together two of these books called Jesus Freaks, and they're uh, stories and testimonies about martyrs and people who had been persecuted for their faith. This one, uh, and, and uh, there's, there's stories in here from all times of history, I'm going to read you some that are from this century, uh, or in the last 50 years, I'll say it like that. This first one is is called, uh, I'm a Soldier of Christ, and it happened in 1999. Um, it's, It's written from the perspective of a young boy named Roy. The teens could tell that the shouts and chanting were getting closer and closer. An older teen looked nervously at his friend. The Muslims are coming. We'd better hide the kids, he said. Others, following his lead, helped the smaller children find hiding places in the buildings nearby. Then they hid themselves. It was January and a crowd of mostly Christian children and teenagers had gathered for a Bible camp at the station-filled complex of Patamura University on the island, island of Amban, Indonesia. When the camp was over, cars came to, to take the laughing, rejoicing children back to their homes, but there were not enough cars to hold the young children. Meki and three other Christian men had gone to Wakul village to try to rent additional transportation to take the rest of the children home, but they had not yet come back. What the kids waiting for the rides home did not know was that on their way to the village, the men were attacked by a Muslim mob who pulled them from their car and out onto the road. Meki and one of the other men were stabbed to death, and later their bodies were burned by the mob. The two other men escaped with their lives. Before long, the mob reached the university. They found many of the teens and forced them to come out of hiding. Roy was forced from his hiding place and made to stand before the mob. They threatened, renounce your Jesus or we will kill you. Roy was terribly frightened, though trembling, and he answered, I am a soldier of Christ. At this, one of the Muslim attackers swung a sword at his stomach. The sword hit the Bible that Roy held and ripped into it, knocking it out of his hand. The man's next swing sliced open Roy's stomach. His last word was Jesus. The mob dragged Roy's body out and threw it into a ditch. Four days later, his family found it. And even though they are racked with grief, his parents stand proud of their son, who stood strong in his faith to the very end. This uh, next one might... uh, draw you to a tear. It's called Her Last Prayer, and it's written about an unknown girl uh, in Asia in the 1970s. The communist soldiers had discovered an illegal Bible study, and as the pastor was reading from the Bible, men with guns suddenly broke into the home, terrorizing the believers who had gathered there to worship. The communists shouted insults and threatened to kill the Christians, The leading officer pointed his gun at the pastor's head. Hand me your Bible, he demanded. Reluctantly, the pastor handed over his Bible, his prized possession. With a sneer on his face, the guard threw the word of God on the floor at his feet. He glared at the small congregation. We will let you go, he growled. But first, you must spit on this book of lies. Anyone who refuses will be shot. The believers had no choice but to obey the officer's order. A soldier pointed his gun at one of the men, you first. The man slowly got up and knelt down by the Bible. Reluctantly, he spit on it, praying, Father, please forgive me. He stood up and walked to the door. The soldier stood back and allowed him to leave. Okay, you, the soldier said, nudging a woman forward. In tears, she could barely do what the soldier demanded. She spat only a little, but it was enough, and she too was allowed to leave. Then quietly, a young girl came forward. Overcome with love for Jesus, she knelt down and picked up the Bible. She wiped off the spit with her dress. What have they done to your word? Please forgive them, she prayed. And the soldier put his pistol to her head, and then he pulled the trigger. And this last story comes from a little more recently. Perhaps you'll recognize it. If I can, uh, ooh, I thought I had that place saved. I promise. She was 17 years old. He stood glaring at her, his weapon before her face. Do you believe in God? She paused. It was a life or death question. Yes, I believe in God. Why? asked her executioner, but he never gave her the chance to respond, and he shot her. The teenage girl lay dead at his feet. This scene could have happened in the Roman Colosseum, it could have happened in the Middle Ages. It could have happened in any number of countries around the world today. This particular story, though, did not happen in ancient times, nor in some far distant country. It happened at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado, in April of 1999. Do you believe in Jesus? What causes such vehement hate for a religion when it seems like all other religions and ways of belief seem able to coincide nowadays? In April of 2007, there was a young man who opened fire and killed 32 people and wounded many more before he took his own life on the campus of Virginia Tech. Perhaps you remember that story just about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. We watched as images were carried on every news agency. Shock mingled with deep grief struck the nation. But there was another stunning thing that happened. Shortly after this tragedy, campus officials at Virginia Tech decided that there needed to be a memorial service, and that memorial service was televised live across the nation. The officials determined that it would be an interfaith service. As the cameras rolled and the television uh, aired that memorial service, we heard a Buddhist quote the Dalai Lama. He referred to the basic goodness of mankind. There was a Jewish woman who read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, There was a Muslim who quoted from the Quran and appealed to Allah. And there was a weak liberal uh, liberal Lutheran pastor who gave a brief empty talk about sticking together and helping one another. But no one mentioned the name of Jesus Christ in the entire memorial service. Why? What did they do with Jesus? Why did they omit any reference to Him? The reason is this. What Jesus Christ claims about Himself and what is proclaimed about Him in the Word of God is so specific and so exclusive that He is offensive to a pluralistic, universalistic, all roads lead to heaven type of culture. Almost everything is tolerated in the public arena but Jesus Christ. That's where we're at this evening as we read through the, chapter, or the Gospel of John chapter 14, and it's 31 verses. I'd like to read it all, and then we'll walk through it as quick as possible. John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Verse 19, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me... He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Father, we thank you for this word. Father, we pray that you would speak to each one of us as we need to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would lead us through this scripture. Father, that you would change us from the inside out. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Get me out of the way. Speak to us. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. We must understand the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel. And one of the goals of the gospel is to be confrontational, believe it or not. Yes, it's it's a word of peace from God, but it is confrontational. Because in the gospel is revealed to us that I am not okay. In the gospel is revealed to me that I am a sinner. In the gospel is revealed to me that I cannot save myself. In the gospel is revealed to me that I must submit myself to a master, and that master's name is Jesus Christ. In the gospel is revealed to us that there is only one way of salvation, and I cannot make up my own way of salvation. And that for a creature that has such a self-determined, path of almost resistance is very confrontational to us, and it's also very confrontational to every other system of belief that is out there, because every other system of religion will almost try to coincide with the other. Oh, they're okay. But the gospel, the, the, the basic beliefs based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ is exclusive. It is Jesus and Jesus alone, and that in and of itself is confrontational. And the goal of the gospel is to reveal this to a lost world. And a lost world is in active rebellion against God. That's that's what we are. When we were lost, when we were separated from God because of our sin, we were in rebellion against God. And so there's that confrontation. And for us who follow this very real, very loving Savior, but also very confrontational deliverer, of a very confrontational gospel, we are left to wonder, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with the conflict that's sure to come my way if I stand upon the exclusivity of the gospel, if I stand upon the claims of Jesus Christ that there is only one way of salvation, there is only one way to be in the Father, and that is through Him. How do we find comfort in a world that hates the love of Jesus? Because it was the love of Jesus that came and died on the cross and said, I'm doing this for you, and by the way, it's the only way of salvation. It's the only way of eternal life. Believe it or not, it's as exclusive as that is, that is God's love for mankind. But the world hates that. How do we find comfort in a world that hates the love of Jesus? And so in chapter 14, Jesus begins the chapter with this phrase, let not your heart be troubled. That's why I say, maybe we're supposed to find comfort from this chapter. Let not your heart be troubled. And really, this connects us back to chapter 13, which we looked to last uh, Sunday evening. And if you remember, chapter 13 ends with this scene that Jesus has basically told them, I'm going away and you can't come with me. What? Our leader? Our teacher? I- 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 uh, our Lord, He's going, and we can't, why can't we go with Him? He's also told them, one of you's going to betray me. He's also just told Peter, hey, I know you think you're devoted unto death, but you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And yet, here Jesus is saying, take comfort. Here Jesus is saying, let your heart not be troubled. That's a lot of bad things. And so, no wonder His. He begins this chapter with this encouragement, don't be troubled, but trust in God the Father and trust in me. And they could because Jesus and the Father are one and what follows in this chapter of John 14 is what I have found to be six reasons. I want to give you six reasons, they're not long, but six reasons why they should not be troubled, why they should find comfort in a world that hates the love of Jesus and why we in 2018 should also be able to find comfort in a world that hates the love of Jesus the first one is this he says I'm going to prepare a place for you in the verses 1 through 11 and by the way I'm doing it with the Father I'm going to prepare a place for you and by the way I'm doing it with the Father in the end if we have put our trust in Jesus we can know that if we meet the same destination of Jesus that is if we die and, uh, and, and, and meet the same end as Jesus, then we will have the same ending Jesus had. What was his ending? Well, he was put to death, but he came back to life. He ascended to heaven, and now he resides at the right hand of the Father. Roman tells, Romans tells us that we, if we are saved, then we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Our inheritance is to be present with Jesus in heaven. That's a word of comfort. When Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, by the way, he follows up up that whole scene in in chapter 13, I'm going away and you can't go with me with this statement. Here's where I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now Jesus is not in heaven with a hammer and a hard hat doing construction like Chip and Joanna Gaines, though I do feel a bit like a fixer-upper. No, this preparation for our place in heaven was done on the cross. Our comfort in his preparation is in the fact that he and the Father of heaven and earth are one. And so while in chapter 13 he tells the disciples, you cannot go where I'm going, he tells them here in chapter 14, verse 3, I'm going to prepare a place. Why? That where I am, you may be also. So you can't come with me right now, but there's coming a day when you can come with me, and that's where I'm going to prepare for you. And this promise of the afterlife is not just from Jesus, but again, he reminds the disciples in verses 1 through 11 of his oneness with the Father. And this reminder from Jesus is prodded when Philip asks, well, you know what, if you'll just show us the Father, we'll we'll be satisfied in that. That's all the comfort we need is if you'll just show us the Father. And Jesus responds to him, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And he starts this section exactly as he began in verse 1. Believe, trust. Listen, have you ever been praying to Jesus and then you stop and you're like, wait, do I need to direct this to God the Father? Should I be praying to the Father and not to Jesus? Or am I supposed to be praying to the Holy Spirit? Essentially what Jesus is saying is, listen, I and the Father are one. If you're praying to me, you're praying to the Father. If you're in me, you're in the Father. The promises I'm giving you are promises from the Father. Through Jesus, we have a oneness with God. And he starts, or he ends this section exactly how he started it in verse 1. In verse 11, he ends this section exactly how he started it. He says, believe me that I am in the Father. Verse 1, what did he say? Believe in God, believe also in me. You want comfort in a world that hates the love of Jesus Christ? Trust in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just sidestep for a real quick and make sure you understand, comfort doesn't mean easy life. Comfort doesn't mean that, you know, it's, my daughter likes to say, puppy dogs and unicorns and rainbows, right? Something like that. Skittles and sunshine. That's not what we mean by comfort. By comfort, we mean in the midst of our trials, we have the peace. We're going to get to that in a second. But in the midst of our trials, we have the peace of God with us. Believe and trust. And then he says, if you can't believe my words, then believe my actions. Believe the signs you've seen. Believe the miracles that you have seen. They were there to reveal my oneness with the Father. Number two, he says, I will answer your prayers regarding my works verses 12 through 14 now sometimes people read verses 13 and 14 and leave it like that you know whatever you ask in my name that will I do verse 14 if you ask anything in my name I will do it they forget about verse 12 verse 12 goes with verses 13 through 14 Jesus will hear our prayers Jesus will answer our prayers but if you ask for something that has nothing to do with his works in and through you then those prayers will probably not be answered. But this is a comfort. As Christians, our top priority should be doing as He commands and as He leads us. Everything we do should be done as though done for the Lord. This gives us comfort not because we need to qualify our prayer requests as not doing with His works and these prayer requests have to do with His works, but it gives us comfort because we realize that if our intentions and our motives and our life is aligned with Him, then that means everything we ask for will be to doing with His works. If everything I do is supposed to bring glory to the Lord, and I'm doing everything as if unto the Lord, then that means everything I ask will be of His works. What I need to be concerned with is when I'm not aligned with His will. When I'm out of his will, when I'm in disobedient uh, a lifestyle, that's when my prayer requests are not going to be aligned with his works. And notice this qualifier. He says, in my name. says it twice. It's got to be important, right? If, if Jesus says it twice, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, verse 14, if you ask anything in my name. It's so important, it's, it's such an important reminder that it is all about the name of Jesus Christ. It is all about bringing Him glory. It's all about bringing His name high and lifted up. And you may say, well, why is this a comfort? I don't know about you, but it is a great relief that it's all about Him, and that pressure is not on me. So if I pray something, even if I pray it in Jesus' name, and that prayer does not get answered, well, I guess I didn't pray hard enough. Or my prayers aren't good enough. Or they're not fervent enough. No, I prayed it in Jesus' name. It's on Him. The pressure's on Him. The the, the work is on Him. I did what I was called to do. That's a great comfort to me. Number three, God will provide a helper. And some of your translations might actually say, and this is verses 15 through 17, and then jumping, to verses 25 through 26. And this sandwich is a section we'll get to in just a second. But God will provide a helper. And some of your translations will actually translate that word helper to comforter. These scriptures are of course talking about the Holy Spirit who is called the great comforter in other scriptures. The Greek word there is a paraclete. Paraclete. And it's not a pair of cleats like you wore on the football field. It's a a Greek word that refers to A actual helpmate that comes along, an assistant, a counselor. And what Jesus tells us in these scriptures about this wonderful helper, and why is this a comfort? Well, in verse 16, he says that this helper, this comforter, will abide with us and in us for how long in verse 16? What does he say? Forever. Have you ever doubted God would not be with you? Did I say that right? Have you ever doubted that God was with you? Don't. Jesus himself promises that the Helper is going to be with you forever. How long is forever, Ethan? Yeah, right? <laughs> it is a really, really long time. <laughs> we can't even measure it. What else does he say? In verse 17, he says, he says that we get him and the world doesn't. Now, this isn't for us to go out to the world and go, na-na-na-na-na-na, I got a helper. But really to see how this sets us apart. Remember, the the, the theme of this, the, the title of this is Finding Comfort in a World that Hates the Love of Jesus Christ. Listen, the lost world feels hate from the world. Right? The lost world feels the hate from the world. Just like we feel hate from the world. Lost World doesn't have this wonderful counselor that is with us forever. We do. Be reminded that he is there. He is speaking with you. Romans 8 tells us he is making groans and praying for us when we don't even know how to pray. We're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit next uh, in two weeks when we get to uh, verse, uh, chapter 16. Verse 26 We're skipping down to that next section, verse 26. What does He say about the Holy Spirit? That He will teach us all things. There's a lot of things I don't understand about God. But there is coming a day when all things will be revealed to us. It might be tomorrow. It might be ten years. It might be when we enter into heaven. But the promise is, someday you will understand and you will know more than you know right now. And you'll know all things. Verse 26 also says the Holy Spirit, the, the helper, the comforter will remind us of Jesus' teachings. It's such such a beautiful comfort there to be reminded of Jesus' teachings. I do want us to note and be sure to see that this wonderful gift from the Father resides inside every believer. That's what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He says that He will be in every believer. That the Holy Spirit is there to help us in our need to be obedient and follow the Father. And that's more related to what I was talking about this morning. That submissive obedience that is needed in order for the Holy Spirit to do His work in me, the Holy Spirit actually helps me with that submissive obedience. Without it then there is this Quenching of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, how can you love me if you won't obey? This theme is going to show up in just a minute. How can you love me if you won't obey? Number four, how do we find comfort in a world that hates the love of Jesus? In the manifestation of God in us. That's at verses 19 through 24. Jesus even says in verse 21, My Father and I will love Him and manifest myself to Him. And manifest just means to make yourself real to, to present yourself to something or to someone. Verse 20, Jesus kind of makes a confusing statement perhaps. He says, at that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus is in the Father, Jesus is in us, and we are in Jesus. That's quite a a lot of ingredients there. And that's a lot of details to try to catch, especially for such a short discourse. But essentially that when we trust in God, when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can take comfort in the fact that God has made himself very real to us and in us. And really this is sandwiched between these two statements uh, about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of this promise that God will manifest Himself to us and in us. And we know this is what is at stake because of what of Judas, not Iscariot. That's, I like how John makes sure that you understand. This is not Judas Iscariot. But Judas asks Him. Verse 22, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world. Again, this is not for us to go to the lost people and say, "No, no, 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 I've got a savior, I've got a holy spirit, I've got a comforter and a helper living within me." But it is to understand the difference. How is it that God will be made manifest to us and not to the world? It comes down to obedience. Submissive obedience. Obedience to the word of God. I told you this was going to show up again in a moment. This morning I said, "You cannot worship God in disobedience." Someone might have thought that that was a little bit harsh. But Jesus goes one step further. He says, if you don't obey, you don't love me. Now very quickly, I would qualify this with grace and be sure that we understand that this direction Jesus is going is not about being perfect, but hearing and responding to the word of the Lord with submissive obedience. So that means that when I sin, I don't glory in my sin, but instead I say I sin." And I say, Lord Jesus, I sin. I confess that sin to you. Would you please forgive me? That's submissive obedience. If you sin, confess, and he will forgive. Verse 6 is the other word of God that we must submit to and be obedient to. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We find comfort. And the fact that God makes Himself manifest to us, is He makes Himself real to us. If we believe in Him, if we trust in Him, and we submit to Him in obedience, if this word is obeyed, then God will manifest Himself to us and in us. And that's the Holy Spirit. You may be saying, well, is it God the Father? Is it Jesus Christ? Is it the Holy Spirit? Yes, yes, and yes. They are three in one. Does it matter if we differentiate and say, well, I'm, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit is leading me. God is leading me. Jesus Christ is leading me. No, because they are three in one. And what Jesus essentially is saying is, the Holy Spirit is God. It is me. We are three in one. And we are in you if you believe, if you trust, if you believe in what I'm telling you. Number five, how do we find comfort? Because he provides peace. Verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He goes on and says that this peace is nothing like the world's peace. Yeah. What time is it? Oh, man, it's late. Real quick. What kind of peace does the world offer us? What kind of, what is, what is so different between God's peace and the world's peace? What is the world's peace? Temporary. Temporary. Why is it temporary? Okay. It's based on circumstance. It's based on situation. Based on feelings, right? That's why the world's peace doesn't last. That's what's so different. Paul tells us that in Philippians chapter 4 that in Jesus We will have a peace that passes all understanding. It passes all understanding because it is not humanly, worldly peace based on feelings or emotions or or, uh, situations or circumstances. It is God's peace that comes from Jesus. Living on this side of the cross, we might be tempted to respond, Your peace, Jesus? They're about to kill you. What kind of peace do you have? And His response would be, Perfect peace that passes all understanding because of the Father. He might go on to say, tomorrow I'll go to the cross, and there I will open the door for my sheep to enter my peace with the Father. I will satisfy His justice, and I will purchase your forgiveness, and I will provide your righteousness, and I will bring you into the very peace that I enjoy with the Father. And nothing and nobody will be able to take that peace from you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Finally, how can we have comfort in a world that hates the love of Jesus? He is coming back, verses 28 and 29. The final word of comfort is that Jesus will return. He says, I'm going away and you cannot come with me. And he says, but guys, I'm coming back. It's a word of comfort for us too. Jesus is coming back. No matter what we are facing, knowing this simple fact that the last day might be today and Jesus will return is a word of comfort if we are prepared for His return. If we're not, that might be a word of concern. A word of concern because we have not trusted in Him as Lord and Savior. Because like Paul, we ought to have the attitude he expresses in Philippians chapter 1 where he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. There's nothing in this world that offers me what Jesus offers me. John 14 brings us comfort for many reasons. I just gave you six that I have found. Perhaps you could find more. But it brings comfort not because of the words on the page, but only if we have believed in the exclusive promise of Jesus that he is the only way to the Father. If he's a liar, then there's no comfort in the Bible whatsoever. If he is not the only way to the Father, and I could find a way to the Father through good works, or through Buddha, uh, Buddha or whatever his name is, or any other means, then none of this brings us comfort. None of this brings us peace. Our trust is in the factual evidence of this verse that we are willing to stand and say, Jesus is the only way, and that's a fact, Jack, then we need not be concerned about what this world will throw at us. The comfort I refer to is not a comfort of good times and sunshine and Skittles, but it is a comfort of knowing that when all the world is in turmoil, I have a peace that passes all understanding. And at some point, if I believed in Jesus as the only way, then I will be able to perish to Him as the reason, or be able to point to him to keep me from perishing because of his truth. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your promises, and I thank you for this comfort that we find in John chapter 14, that even though we reside in the world that hates the exclusive message that you love them, and you're the only way to eternal life, Lord, may we boldly stand for that truth and boldly proclaim that truth whenever we're given the opportunity, but that we would proclaim it in the same way you do, with much, much love. Thank you, Jesus, for all you do. It is in your name I pray. Amen.